the Mindset Athlete Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. I'm a two-time Paralympian and owner of James Robert Fitness, which is an online training, nutrition, and mindset coaching business. First of all, I'd like to thank Lauren Williams for suggesting this quote to the show. An athlete is a mindset. It's how you prepare, think, and execute. Not because of some elite status or physical stature. Anybody can be an athlete. By Chris Hart. And each week on the Mindset Athlete, we like to bring you inspirational athletes, a message, or experts talking about human optimization to teach you how to change your perception of your mindset and become 1% better. And on today's show, I've got Sarah Wall. Sarah has overcome many challenging obstacles to become a recognized expert in the field of coaching, hypnosis, and weight loss, and is regularly featured in international and national press, including Top Sante Magazine and the Daily Mail. Her credentials include over a decade's experience as a qualified psychotherapist and senior hypnotherapist. After starting out on a corporate career in marketing and consumer psychology, Sarah is passionate about creating rapid transformation by lasting change, just like her own, and empowering women to thrive and live their best lives. So welcome on to the show, Sarah. Thank you so much, James. So excited to be here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, beyond the initial introduction that I've given you, is there any little bit of n- nugget that you'd like to add and share with my audience? Yeah. So you mentioned there my background as a hypnotherapist and psychotherapist. I think um, it's really on trend now to talk about mindset. It's really on trend to talk about the power of the mind. And I'm, I'm so all over that. Like, first of all, I'm so all over that. But the, I think the interesting thing for me as part of my personal journey has been my reconnection with the body. And so I started out as, um, you know, as most kids, like I was a fairly active kid. I liked sport. I liked gymnastics and dancing. But somewhere around becoming a teenager, um, kind of got a bit disconnected. So I got disconnected from my body. I started suffering from anxiety. I started spending, like what I would say, a lot of time up in my head, a lot of time thinking, a lot of time ruminating, a lot of time um, paying attention to to my thoughts, especially some of the negative ones and some of those kind of scary ones. So I think that's normal, right, for teenagers. Um, but I really moved away from all of my physical stuff. I stopped dancing. I stopped doing gymnastics. I stopped really like enjoying that that side of life, like u- using my body for sport, for fun, for all those kind of things. So over the years after that you know some really difficult things happened in my life I um I got married that was a happy time I got married I got pregnant I found out that my husband was cheating on me with my best friend when I was about to give birth and it kind of spiraled into you know really challenging time it had a knock-on effect in my corporate career as well and and I ended up having panic attacks and just like a bit of a probably like one of the lowest kind of rock bottom moments in my life. And it kind of got worse from there because there was someone that was really close to me that had been best man at my wedding that stepped in as the kind of masculine strong figure and helped me out when I was pregnant. And 
just a couple of days before, so I had the baby a couple of days before my daughter was about to celebrate her first birthday. My friend um, wrote her birthday card, popped it in the post box, and then went and jumped in front of a train and killed himself. So at that point, it was, I, I was really, really struggling to kind of come to terms with how how these things can happen to us you know why is this happening to me why is this you know I've just got over this trauma I've just you know is it not bad enough that I'm going through I know lots of people go through you know divorces and cheating and heartbreak and all these things but now like the person that's stepped in and kind of been the person that saved me the person that was my rock the, the person that was happy and always put a smile on my face like it just didn't make sense to me James it was so I wanted answers. I wanted, I wanted to, I wanted to understand why. I think that was the period of my life in my twenties when it was very much like, why does this happen or why is it happening? So I'd already started my training. I'd been unhappy in my corporate career and then having a baby was just like the push that I needed to go for my dream and go for something that I love and understanding human psychology to help people buy stuff didn't seem very fulfilling to me <laughs> so putting that knowledge and retraining as a psychotherapist and using you know human behavior and psychology to help people get over their problems seemed like you know one of the ways that I could put some of the difficult things that had happened to um, channel that energy into helping people and helping them overcome it so yeah I was all about the mind I was all about um, you know the mind is the most important thing the mind governs everything um, I, I got really heavily involved in hypnosis, which to me seemed like a magic wand at the time. It was incredible the things I could do. I, um, I traveled, I lived in South America, I worked with people from, you know, from embassies, I worked with actors, athletes, people, diplomats. And yeah, it was all about the mind. So then what kind of started happening was I started noticing that there was some trends with these people that they weren't very connected with their bodies. They weren't, they, they generally, and this is a generalization, right? Cause obviously not everyone was the same. Um, but I started to see these trends where people that had a lot of emotional issues, they were having, there was like physical issues as well. So it's the kind of chicken and egg. It's like, what's happening here? If you fit, if you fix, you know, in inverted commas, if you fix their minds, will the body just follow but what if, you know, that what if they're not taking exercise? What if they're not sleeping well? What if they're not eating nutrient-dense food? You know, so what I started to realize as a psychotherapist was that you could do all the mindset work in the world and really help people. But if they weren't making any shifts physically, i.e. if they weren't moving their body more, if they weren't eating some nutrient dense foods then the mindset work that you did on them was going to be limited so what I got really interested in doing was what if I help people whatever their problem is whether they've come in for post-traumatic stress a phobia um, anxiety insomnia whatever it is they came in for what if I could help them what if the key to helping them was more about helping them create physical changes so that then the changes that we were making alongside that in their minds would be faster, would be more powerful and would stick around longer. So I started helping people, you know, deal with, um, you know, deal with their sugar habits, like eat better, 
um, not necessarily go crazy in the gym with exercise, but at least move their bodies more, do things that bring them joy, dance, um, you know, have, have fun with this stuff. And I started to find that then helping them with the mind stuff, you know, the, the things that they thought they came in for, the emotional stuff was so much more transformative when we combine the two. Obviously, this is sidetracking a little bit with the question now, Sarah. Uh, be it, you know, from your background with the corporate world, do you think to a certain extent, and obviously you have a better opinion than I do on the topic, do you think it's very um, coercive in terms of what they're doing, in terms of getting you to buy a product from using psychology and kind of, to, well, in no certain terms, it's ma- manipulation? Hmm. Oh, that's a great question. I mean, we only need to look at something like, um, let's look at a cigarette industry, for example. I know it's different now, but I remember when I was, when I was studying advertising in the late nineties, we were taught about, um, you know, how they went around cigarette advertising, how they went around putting these kind of subliminal messages into the pictures, you know, even just a picture in a magazine and the, the symbolism that they used and the way that it was all created. Um, I think those kind of things have a limited effect. I think what I find more concerning was the powers behind those industries, right? So you're not going to, I think you're not going to find, all these things can be used for good, right? You talk about manipulating people, like as a coach, you know, you want to kind of help people get on board if you know you can help them so I think it really depends on what you're selling people if you're helping them get on board to start smoking if you're helping them get on board um, using a drug instead of some other holistic or natural remedy that could help their problem much better and quicker without the side effects then yes I, I, I agree with you I think it's um, I think it's unethical and it happens a lot. And, and working in that industry for a number of years, I, I didn't work in any of those industries I mentioned, like tobacco or pharmaceutical. You know, I was working in theft prevention. So I was working around you know, people that were stealing stuff. And we were looking at the kind of psychology of the way that people were stealing and taking things and in the supply chain. Um, so that kind of felt like it had some kind of the ethical background to it. But in terms of um, the big, big industries around the world, you know, even plastic surgeries and other things that I've been involved in in my personal story. Um, yeah, it's, it's a problem. It's definitely a problem in society. But why do, why do and obviously, because you've had plastic surgery, obviously it's going to come down to different reasonings behind why people do it. What was kind of the the decisive moment for you to want to do it and because obviously that's your story yeah so I, I I had I mentioned that I had a difficult time with my body when I went through you know my teenage years I kind of disconnected a lot I wasn't I didn't find it very easy the changes that happened becoming a woman because I, I did see myself as a kid I saw myself quite sporty as a dancer I went to ballet and then all of a sudden I'm in this leotard and I'm you know fatter essentially you know, I'm curvier I've got breasts I've got big hips so my body went through a lot of changes and it was ironic that I after I a few years after I had my daughter my first child I decided to get breast implants because my breasts has always been something that I kind of 
disliked. It was a part of me that, that, that felt, you know, that, that I resented as I went through puberty. Um, so I think for me, that was part of my disconnect of that being a part of my body that I was never happy with. I never felt at peace with. And then after having children, after going through pregnancy and then living in a culture in South America where it is pretty much the norm to have plastic surgery, it was, I had thought about it and always dismissed the idea. So when I was living in England, I'd kind of looked at my breasts after pregnancy and breastfeeding and thought, hmm, I thought I didn't like them before. Now I really don't like them. But I wasn't prepared to do anything about it. But then I moved to Colombia, I moved to South America, and it became a question that people actually asked me, James. Like people would say to me, Sarah, why haven't you got breast implants? <laughs> That's the way they talk out there. So I began to mix in circles where it was just the norm. And as you know, anything that becomes socially acceptable, that's normal, it was almost like I felt abnormal that I didn't have breast implants. So I didn't understand, I didn't rationalize that decision at the time, right? We make our decision based on our emotions, don't we? Like, and then we just rationalize it afterwards. So it was an emotional based decision, probably wanting to fit in, probably wanting to, um, you know, a status thing as well in Colombia. So you know, if you're a businesswoman, you know, I was running a business over there and I was running my therapy practice and the kind of people that I was mixing with, actresses and, you know, other people from, from other countries as well. It was almost like, why haven't you done that? You know, imagine if everyone is driving around in a particular type of sports car and you're the only one like driving around in your little banger. You kind of feel abnormal if you don't do that thing. So for me, it was buying into um, what society said I should do. Um, and I And I wasn't aware of that at the time. So after a few years well even the year that I had the surgery which was you know about eight or nine years ago now I, I really regretted the decision almost straight away um and I my body definitely started trying to tell me right from the beginning that it wasn't happy about having these foreign objects placed inside my body um, and I started to have a number of physical reactions as kind of immune reactions to um to having these objects placed inside my body so it became a a bit of a spiral downwards into uh, you know had a really knock-on effect to that disconnect of my body and and lots of pain um problems with my spine problems with my shoulders so I don't know if you if you know much about it, James, or for the people that are listening, but you know, as soon as the implants go into the body, the body creates a capsule around them, and that capsule attaches itself to, you know, to your internal organs, to your rib cage. And so when I had them finally removed, which was February 2018, amazing, amazing turning point in my life. When I had them removed, um, it was actually a three-hour surgery of them scraping off my my own body's tissue, my own body's um, capsule that are created around the implants which went up as far as um, almost up as far as, as as the top here of my of my shoulder blade and it created thoracic outlet syndrome when I'd lost all sensation in my hand where this nerve was pinched at the top of my shoulder so there was a lot of direct physical impact 
that that had on me as well as all the the other kind of emotional and some of the internal stuff you know that we hear about of people being kind of poisoned by the silicone and other things for me it was very much a physical um fight from my body to to get these out and do did they ever tell you or do they ever tell people when they're thinking about i'm not gonna say resorting to changing their body but that's what it is do they ever give you the well call them horror stories as opposed to you know the 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 plus side of doing it never i didn't i didn't hear a single thing i had an amazing surgeon in terms of his experience his credibility was one of the top surgeons in south america i had some doubts as you do before you go in and do you know a body changing surgery had some doubts and I asked him I said I'd heard about things like capsular contracture where the body makes this kind of hard shell around the implant and he said no Sarita it's no problem and even if that did happen you know it happens very small percentage of women if that happens you just come in and I'll make a little adjustment a very small surgery and make an adjustment and be absolutely fine but the reality of that is the you know the percentage of women that do suffer from you know capsular contracture is actually high and once you have had that reaction in your body it's very unlikely that you'll ever undo it so although the surgeon can go in and and lessen the you know the tightness around the implant by cutting open the capsule what we find is that the body just makes a new one so the body just goes and then you have layers upon layers of scar tissue and of course the contraction gets worse and you find more and more you know problems with your body as it tries to compensate but why do they why do you think then that that they kind of what in a sense try and mask over the failties of of what is that industry I think as professionals in our own industries, we all suffer from our own confirmation bias. So a couple of weeks ago, I was talking at a hypnosis convention and it's really interesting, James, because like even within the hypnosis world and the magic world and mentalism and, and these kind of professions, we're often, again, we're subject of our own confirmation bias. We tend to listen to things that people tell us that suit what we already believe and ignore things that go against our beliefs. So I don't believe that the majority of these people, these surgeons, I don't believe that they intentionally are misleading people or they, you know, wouldn't cast them as bad people or anything like that they just you know they they set out in a in an industry where they're only going to believe the things that they want to pay attention to so that's my that's my belief my genuine belief that these people aren't out to do us harm and to cover up these awful things that happen it's just that they choose not to pay attention to that and as human beings we do that every single day of our lives we pay attention to the things that suit our beliefs and we ignore the things that that don't match so when I, I went back to my surgeon, you know, and I tried to talk to him about, I said, you know, it seems like a coincidence. That I've, I lost feeling in my, in my hands. I lost power in my arms. I, I, I was into the gym at that time, but I had to stop weightlifting. I couldn't grip bars anymore. Um, and I went through a couple of years of investigation of different types of doctors and they diagnosed me. They couldn't quite, I didn't quite fit in a box of what any of their diagnosis, but they gave me splints. So I used to sleep with my wrists and my hands in splints. They told me that I possibly was suffering from some kind of osteoarthritis, but the blood test didn't match up with that diagnosis. So I went through a couple of years of trying to work it all out. And then, 
you know, lo and behold, last year I had my breast implants removed and I woke up and not only could I breathe, I realized how I hadn't been breathing for eight years where they were attached to my rib cage. So not only was I able to breathe and my ribs were able to begin to open up, but I got the feeling back in my hand, which was just amazing. <laughs> so it was just an incredible feeling to go from thinking that I was never, ever going to be well again, that I would never, ever feel like a healthy person again to, um, to waking up and feeling the most gratitude that I've ever felt in my life for having a, a body that, that felt healthy again. You know, I had a bit of a, there was some recovery, obviously I'd had a surgery and, um, but, but that was an incredible feeling, really incredible. But also coming back to the point that you raised very early on in the episode in terms of like the empowerment issues, do you think from a female perspective now, that sport, sports such as gymnastics and dance have a detrimental effect on their psychological state because they're telling them to virtually well, change their identity at times, be it how they eat, how they look, to suit that mould of, of the sport. Mm. Yeah, I think I, I think that is happening. And I think that having worked with many women over the last decade in all terms of issues around body image, body dysmorphia and eating disorders. I think that we can't kind of blame anything external for those things. So they may contribute to it. And and you may have a woman, a young woman or a girl who goes into one of these sports that may be more susceptible to, you know, developing some kind of response to that environment that she's in that might look like an eating disorder or body dysmorphia. But it's not the environment itself that's causing it, right? Because if it was the, if it was dancing itself or gymnastics itself that was the cause of it, then we'd see, you know, all the girls and all the young women going through it. So, so I don't like to blame those sports. I don't like to blame the, the environment. But we do need to be aware of of our own, you know, of our own journey of, of the way that we're interpreting the things around us. So for me, because I'd been through, you know, I'd been through this experience of feeling like, and I think you hit the nail on the head, identity, you know, my identity did not fit in anymore. I didn't feel like a dancer. I didn't have a dancer's body. I didn't feel like a gymnast. I didn't feel comfortable in a leotard. And then, you know, just before I turned 40 last year, when my breast implants came out, I said, if I can go through all of this, if I can, you know, kind of go through pregnancies, go through weight loss, weight gain, implants in, implants out, I'm going to step up, I'm going to get in the best shape of my life. And I'm going to step on the stage in a bikini. I'm going to do a bodybuilding competition. And I'm going to let everyone there judge me just for the way that my body looks and on nothing else. (laughs) Because I tell you what, I've been doing that my whole life. And if I've been doing that my whole life, and we're, you know, our, our inner critic is our worst critic, right? Then what any, whatever anyone else thinks of me or says about me or judges me cannot be as powerful as what I think of myself. So that was kind of the result of, <clears throat> I guess, of all of the things that I've been through. Um, you know, getting into knowing that I was, knowing that that, that sport, you know, body, the bodybuilding sport, is all about having your body look a certain way, but embracing that, you know, not letting it be a a negative thing, letting it be a positive thing, letting it be empowering. It's like, how amazing and how empowering is that as a woman that I can um, be my best self, get myself into the best version of me 
not trying to look like her over there or her with the 20-year-old the with the perky breasts or, you know, I am the 40-year-old or 39 at the time. I am a 39-year-old woman who's had two children, who's, you know, been, been really overweight and then lost weight and has stretch marks and excess skin or, you know, other things that come with age or things that we've put our bodies through. I'm really owning that. Like, that's empowering, right? Like being, being the, knowing that that was the best that I could be and not comparing my journey to anyone else. But I think when you're starting out or when you're a, you know, when you're a teenage girl, I mean, I think that's, I think that's tough. Right? I think to have that mindset at that age, I think is tough. And we need to support young women more that are coming into sports, that are coming into um, you know, these different areas. We need to support them more on that. But do you think also that because you you have a problem with identifying where you fit in, especially as a teenager, that you're going to resort to whatever it takes in terms of of a mindset? I'm going to do whatever it needs to be done to fit in. I mean, you mean in general or Mm. or me? Or in in general? I think think, you know some people some people don't care. Some people are. Like, so I'll give you, so my daughter now is a teenager. My daughter's about to turn 15 and I see her. And of course, because of my journey, I'm probably more, more aware. So we've got a lot of awareness in our home. We've got a lot of awareness around how much we might be being affected by what's going on around us. And she's got Instagram and TikTok and all these, um, all these additional pressures that I didn't have when I was 15 so I think a lot of people worry about that now. I think parents worry about that and they, they think that it's really stressful for, for our kids to be going through that. But again, you know, it's about perspective, isn't it? It's about we can use these platforms to be empowered. We can use these platforms for good. And, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, you know, it was, it was a, a big shock for our school community but one of the boys in my daughter's school committed suicide and you know he was just I think 13 or or 14 and but what we saw James on social media what we saw on social media was this huge coming together and support for each other all these teenagers posting on their stories posting in snapchat hey if anyone's struggling I'm here for you this is awful this has happened how did it come to this if anyone needs to talk to anybody I'm here and you know it 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 just really warmed my heart that they responded like that so I think yeah, it's hard for them, but also like, let's give them some credit. Let's use the platforms that we have got, the technology we have got um, to create awareness and support for each other. And then they don't, we don't have to be scared about these things. So where has that bias come from for, for people to believe in? Uh, and I won't detract from that because I'd sit and have a, a certain bias towards it to most of the time, be even on this platform to say it, that social media to some extent used in the wrong way is going to be detrimental to people. Where does it come from? Mm, where does, where does that bias come from for, from, for, a, as a collective? I think we, um, yeah, interesting. I think we, I think people are scared of change. I think that as human beings, we, we, have evolved to want to kind of keep things the same because it keeps us feeling safe 
when we know things, when we're familiar with things. That's just part of our programming as human beings. So I think those people that push boundaries, those people that create waves in the world or make change or you know, people, people that are athletes, people that are in the public eye, like these are the people that have embraced change. These are the people that have said, this is a bit scary and this is different. This is unfamiliar, but I'll do it. You know, when you're going through a body transformation, you know, the same thing can happen. Like you might think, you know, want to have this amazing fit tone body, but, but when it starts happening and it's unfamiliar, it, it, it feels scary. So I think as a collective, we're, we can be scared of things that are new, that are different, that are unfamiliar. And we have a tendency to want to try and control things rather than trusting ourselves, trusting um, to let things kind of evolve naturally and for things to unfold. So I think it comes from the need to control. Um, yeah, does that make sense, Dave? Yeah. But obviously you and I know as coaches, from a physical standpoint, the body will change when it decides to change. We have no bearing on that whatsoever. And I think people, as soon as people realize that, be it you know like the the six pack is the big one from a male perspective well you can't that you can't dictate to i want just the fat to disappear from there be well with women off the hips off the breast you can't say well i just want it to come from this area to appease me it's not going to work like that yeah which is where it's such an incredible journey when you take someone on a body transformation journey it's a journey into yourself it's a journey into, into your mind, into your ego. And I remember when I was prepping to get on stage, I had seven, seven weeks in a row where nothing changed on, you know, in terms of tracking and measuring. And when you're about to step on stage, you know, it's how you look ultimately is the most important thing, but you still have to track and measure it. And the only way we've got to doing that really is numbers and, and photographs. So I had seven weeks and I had this amazing, you know, coach who was a professional in getting people onto stage because that's not, you know, not my area of expertise. So I had a coach to help me. And every week I was back there, I was like, nothing's changing. You know, the number's the same. And he'd say to me, Sarah, you know, if you, you're being consistent, you are, you know, you're taking the action, you're following through, you're doing the stuff, which I was, right? That's the, I think I need to say that I was doing, it was taking the action. So you're just going to have to trust. You're just going to have to trust that it will come. And, you know, my body had been, my body had been this weight, you know, which technically was overweight. A lot of people criticized me at the time saying like, you know, you look better before and why are you losing all this weight? And, you know, I was technically, I carried it well, but I was technically overweight. I had over 30, about 33% body fat. It's quite high. Didn't want it to get worse as I went into my forties. And, you know, I know it's harder for women as they get into their forties and fifties. So, um, my body had had high body fat for most of its life for decades. So seven weeks of plateau was really nothing. Like now, when I look back as a, as the bigger picture, it's nothing. So, you know, finally after those seven weeks, I mean, you're, I'm sure, you know, or you've had experiences, you know, things just went like, boom, it was like the body went, whoa, <laughs> now we're talking. And, and it let go of, you know, of quite a lot of what I'd ever been holding on to. And the more I relaxed, you know, and I teach, teach my clients this as well, like the more I relaxed into it, the easier it was, you know, for this, for my body to do this. So 
just just want to go back to my original point about when I believed it was all about the mind you know I came to realize that transformation really happens through the body and there's a lot of talk about the subconscious mind and the parts of the mind that we can't control and hypnosis is is kind of a lot about that right hypnosis is a lot about helping your subconscious mind but I'm really come to the belief that the body is the subconscious mind and it's through the body that the biggest changes happen you know and when we when we realize that when we allow when we allow the body to lead when we allow the body to do what it needs to do like we're not consciously telling our body to breathe right but you can go on we do the ironic thing is we do need to learn how to breathe again because we've forgotten because we get anxious and we we don't use our you know we don't use our lungs properly or you watch a little kid breathing it's different to a stressed out tense up adult right um but it's ironic because the body doesn't doesn't need to be told how to breathe it just needs the barriers removed that are stopping it from doing what it was always meant to do so i think a lot of what i do now in my work and you know my personal life is not really kind of doing anything as much as removing barriers to just let the stuff that was meant to happen happen anyway and what obviously what you mean by barriers is be, be it um, anxiety, stress, uh, overwhelm, obviously being stuck in your mind because you talked about that early, early doors. Is that kind of the barriers that you're talking about, which everybody will suffer with on a day to day basis? Yeah. And I, and I think this is where I love the body stuff so much because when we try really hard when we try really hard to change and we spend a lot of time up in the mind, we often get this idea that we have control of our minds and that if only we could think more positively or if only we could get the right mindset, if only we could get more control over our minds, then our life would be better and happier and more positive. And, and really, it's, it's not about controlling the mind or it's about, you know, it's about allowing it's more about letting go. It's more about paying less attention to the mind, right? Like I, I describe often the mind is like, imagine the mind is like an app that you've downloaded on your phone that's a streaming of, of me, of, of I thoughts. Like your mind doesn't do anything other than think about yourself, right? So the mind is very much like me, 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 me. How does this affect me? What if this and who thinks this about me? And what if I do this tomorrow? And so it's like this eye program that we've got downloaded in our, imagine our brain is our phone, you know, we've got this eye program running. It's like, it's useful. We need it for sure. But it's not the whole picture. It's not the whole thing. And I think sometimes, you know, having been through, you know, some heavy work as a, as a therapist with people and I'm not downplaying people's experiences or people's traumas, I, you know, I've had them myself. But sometimes, you know, we need to kind of, understand be a bit lighter when we think about our minds and understand it's really it's really not as serious as we think it is it's you know it, it's just a stream of thoughts and, and that's all they really are right so now I don't try and I don't try and have happy thoughts James I don't try and have positive thoughts like I just accept what they are and and, and that's really freeing you know that's empowering that I just allow things and then the magic is the more that I allow things, the more I seem to find those, those happier ones or those, you know, peaceful moments. 
But what would you put that down to? Do you, do you would you associate that to be uh, of the notion that you know, like sport is, is massive, massive amount of hours of repetition over and over again? You you do something over a period of time it becomes a habit and a behavior. Do you think because people can't? And I've talked about this many a time. Is it because they can't associate and have a dis to a certain extent a disconnect with the mind when it comes to that? But when they've got, be it from a physical standpoint with how they respond to to their gym or training they can see change but when we put it in the realms of how how the mind is going to react to something different we can't see it so it's obviously not happening yeah totally it's almost like it's almost like this belief that the mind is who i am yeah this is kind of deep stuff but it's almost like if I'm not my mind, if I'm not my thoughts, then who am I? Who am I without that I program? Who am I without those thoughts? So when we try and help people from the basis of, you know, getting some disassociation, you know, getting some distance and awareness around the mind and the thoughts and the beliefs, you know, to getting people to kind of step away and see it for what it is. Like you were saying, you can you, maybe you can see your body for what it is. You know, we, we see it as a body. We, we look at it in the mirror. We measure it. We, um, we judge it and depending on its performance. And we do all these things, but we understand that it's just a body. And we understand that we're kind of not our bodies. And we understand that one day we're going to die. And, you know, this body will, you know, just kind of whatever, disintegrate, go into the ground, right? So we naturally have a little bit of disassociation to our bodies. But the mind, we have this, well, not, I say we, you know, it's a generalization because not everybody does. But we can be overly, we can be overly connected to this idea that our mind, that our thoughts, that the stream of thinking, the ego, you know, people have lots of different ways of saying it. We can believe that that is who we are. So and this is a journey, right? This is a journey to having a little bit of distance from having maybe the same way that people can perceive their bodies as a kind of external thing or as a, a separate thing, um, separate and connected at the same time. It's a little bit of a paradox, right? <laughs> the mind and body separate but connected all the time. So yeah, definitely. Um, that is the key. I think when you want change, the key is as you go through as you develop more in as you go more into your mind at the same time you go you go away from it right yeah are you with me i i am but be it do you do you think it comes down to this simple way of looking at it be it most people will be in a fixed mindset as they believe i cannot change everything is going to ever be the same whereas i think when you come to accept it and accept yourself, your identity, and come to be able to step away from your thoughts, which is diff- more difficult than, than others at times, mm. you're obviously able to grow. And then, be if I put it from a physical standpoint, you're going to see improvement. Yeah, and this is why, you know, it's so important to for, for people to be leaders, for people to step into these roles, whether they are, you know, coaching or whether they're athletes or people that are in any kind of leadership role it's their responsibility to be showing people what is possible because even if a person is at that level of, of of understanding or development of their mind where 
they might see what someone else has achieved and think, well, she can do that, but, but I can't, you know, that that's for her. And that's not for me. It's still a door, a window of possibility in that person's mind has been opened by just seeing another person do it. Right. So, and I know this because I went through the same. So I, I remember thinking all the time, you know, that's for her. That's not for me. I'll never have an athlete's body. I'll never do this. I'll never do that. And I have these kind of thoughts all the time right, for years. So now as I've, as I've moved through, I still catch these thoughts. The, the thoughts don't really change. It's just what I do about them that's different. So I still, you know, now I see people, especially women, you know, I'm really into women's empowerment in particular as a woman myself. Um, I look at women who are achieving things, doing things, living a kind of lifestyle, having things, going places, stuff that I think I, I want that or I would like that. And I still hear that that program in my mind that says, well, you can't have that and you can't have that because, and she has that because, but now James is like, it's just like, Oh, you know, hi, there, there's the, um, she can have it, but you can't is knocking at the door again. Like I don't have to answer the door. Right. I can just leave her knocking at the door. So, so it opens that window. It opens that door of possibility in people's minds. So I think the more we share the more we confront our, our own um, uncomfortableness of, of, of when, we, when we listen to something and we think, no, that's wrong. Those are the moments that I love because those are the moments where I grow. You know, you and I could sit here and have a chat and do this podcast and we could just agree with each other and nod our heads and we're just confirming our own bias, right? Maybe we're not learning anything. But then when you have those moments where you meet those people that really kind of challenge you or, or confront you not on purpose but but they have different beliefs to you those are the moments when we can begin to change so I think that's that that's the difference when you have people that as soon as they feel challenged they shut down whereas people that feel challenged and they rise up to that and I think that's where sport and the body and um, athletes can, can help make that difference. That's where the body becomes more powerful than the mind <clears throat> because you start seeing these changes. You, you feel challenged. You know, if I'm going to, if I'm, if I think I can't lift any more weights, right. My mind is saying you can't do anymore. You can't do anymore. If I'm trying to, I've never run a marathon. I've done <laughs> like 10 K, but I'm not a big runner, but you know, if I'm running my mind, what's my mind saying to me, right? My mind is saying, stop. My mind is saying, you're tired. My mind is saying your knees hurt. Now, if I, if I try and ignore that, if I try and push that away, if I try and overcome it, I'm just I'm not being authentic. But if I go inside and I embrace that and I'm like, yeah, okay, you know, like you want me to stop, you feel tired. Okay, cool. I'm going anyway. That kind of, that kind of embracing discomfort, I think is, is where you get huge amounts of personal development and personal growth. And this is where I get really passionate about helping people with their bodies, even though my background is the mind stuff, because I think when you can you know, be in the gym or ch change something about your body physically, it's a really powerful metaphor to the mind about what you once thought was not possible because you've got the real physical evidence in front of you of the change. And that's really powerful.
But does the and obviously I, I'm surprised to hear you say you still have those kind of thoughts. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm no different because they will pop up a per- periodically and they were more problematic twelve months ago than they are now. But obviously, does it come down to an element of certain extent control that the body wants to take back from you as a being, be it? Uh, what you're doing is an uns- in uncertain terms from a, a tribal perspective of kind of being hardwired within within every individual. You're doing something risky. It's, you, you're doing something that's dangerous, putting uh, um, our being at kind of life-threatening pers- perspective. Hmm. Yeah, it's hardwired, right? Like, you know, I think it's um, Brene Brown does some great stuff around shame, one of the really powerful human emotions that, you know, can prevent us from experiencing more joy, experience more more depth in life because, you know, tribal, you know, going back thousands of years, doing something that's out of the box, doing something that's different to the rest of the tribe would have resulted in death. So it was like life or death. And now rather than, life or death being about you know being thrown out of the tribe and on your own in the middle of the wilderness it's now more about well, if I post this thing on Facebook what if people don't like it what if people don't agree with me it's the same hardwired instinct that you know that our brains and our body is responding to so but you know we have we, we, we understand things more now right we understand we understand that we're physical beings and I think it's really important to honor the fact that we're we're human beings and we live in a body and the body is going to have these sensations like if I when I was helping people well I still help them but not in the same kind of therapy context but if I was helping a person with anxiety you know when you get them to actually drill down into the physical sensations like what are you experiencing when you feel anxiety you know people will find that it's no different to what they're experiencing when they're on the treadmill in the gym right? You know, heart, heart is beating faster. You know, if I say to someone, what are you actually feeling? Go into your body. My heart is beating faster. Okay. Your heart is beating faster. I'm feeling a bit hot. I'm feeling a bit flushed. Okay. You know, feeling a bit hot, feeling a bit flushed. Pores are opening. Maybe start to sweat a little bit. But these physical sensations are the same, right? So we need to honor that. But we have this awareness now. We have this information. We have this you know, massive web, this internet and these interwebs, as I call them, where we can spread this information, we can share this information, we can understand ourselves better, um, and we can use this. We can use this so that we can, you know, collectively grow. And, and that goes back to, you know, leadership, inspiring people, and opening those little windows of, of possibility in people's minds. But I think what people might, shouldn't forget otherwise, and this is actually, we, we kind of go in the opposite way in terms of we're coming to an agreement on this, is is this perception of shame versus empowerment. And, and I think when you can have, to a certain extent, a disconnect as what you believe is going to be the outcome, because you don't know what people are, are going to, whether or not they're going to like it or they're not going to like it, you're going to, you're going to disenfranchise to a certain extent one one proportion of the population anyway because they don't they don't like you they don't like your content for no what for whatever reason that is and obviously from the other end of the spectrum it's going to have a massive impact on somebody else's um belief system because coming back to your point in terms of uh relating to somebody else they can kind of see well you've been able to achieve that 
I have this thought process that I couldn't achieve it, but by you being vulnerable, being your authentic self and being open to putting it out there, I can see see that it is achievable. But obviously right now in this present moment, I haven't achieved it yet. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I agree. We're agreeing on it, right? <laughs> There's, you know, I, I remember this saying that somebody told me: some people don't like their water wet, and if you try and please everyone, if you try and be, you know, if you try and be the voice for everyone, if you speak to everyone, you're speaking to nobody. So I think for me, especially since I came into the online space, and talking about things like hypnosis, talking about things like breasts and breast implants and stepping on stage doing, um, in a bikini, you know, these are things that really trigger people. And there did come a point where wanting people to agree, to be liked, to, you know, to, to kind of give me that sense of acceptance, had to, I had to let that go. I had to completely let that go. Not because I'm arrogant enough to think everything I say is right, everything I say is true, but it's my version of the truth right now. You know, I might, I might, if, if we talked this time next year, I could say everything I said last year when we chatted, James, I've changed my mind, I don't agree with any of it. And I would, you know, if that's how I felt in a year's time, I'd say it. And I know people that have written books, you know, instead of my first book, I completely disagree with everything now and I've written another one. <laughs> like, that's growth, right? That's real growth. And when we can experience that and open ourselves up to it, then we can change. But I think people forget that because they are trying to, well, under the surface and probably at surface level, appease themselves, but they think they're trying to appease other people. It's like, well, you've not come to accept whatever traumatic experience it is that you've swept under the carpet and you're looking for something else to fill that void. It's, 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 it's until you come to accept that. That's why I won't step out of my lane in terms of be it, you know, to do with hypnotherapy, to do with psychotherapy, because I know down to my background, psychology has a massive impact, be it for good or for bad. I can make somebody do, do not necessarily do something, but be it believe in something with, at, at the core they don't agree with. But at that particular time, they'll go with it because, well, I'm going to be able to, to get, get quote unquote, get better. So I'll take the, the shortcut that I'm being given. So I'll, I'll, I'll recommend things, but I wouldn't say this is what you need to do. This is what I've done. Whether or not you take that heap, that advice, that is up to you. But I'm not saying do it. I'm just saying these are the tips that these are the tips, skills, tools that I've utilized for myself. I'm not saying all of them will work for you. I'm not saying some will work. You might have to employ more to be able to see some sort of result or a winning sensation to get you out of that funk okay to, to a certain extent the mind is probably more difficult at times than the physical but coming back to what you were talking about it's a perspective it's it's whichever is more difficult for you in the here and now 
Yeah, it's totally a unique experience, right? I think I've had experiences myself where I've worked with, you know, lots of different coaches and mentors to help me move through different things in my life, not just business or physical, you know, I've had a love coach and work with different types of mentors. And there's been times when I know my coaches advice, um, recommendations, however you want to kind of pitch it. I know that they, what they're saying is, is would help me, right? I don't want to use the word right or wrong, like they're right and I'm wrong, but I, I know what they're suggesting, what they're saying will help me. But still, I've carved my own path. Still, I've done the thing that they've said, you know, I had a business coach once and said, if you do that, there'll just be like suicide for your business. And and, you know, and I remember my, my love coach saying to me, you know, if you keep seeing this guy, Sarah, you know, like if that's, <laughs> this, it's your soul's journey, right? Your, your soul want, wants to do, it's, it's doing its own journey. It's just going to be, you know, you'll still get there, but it's just going to probably going to be longer and harder for you. And even though I, I agreed, you know, this is kind of back to the mind, right? Even though on a, on a level, on a logical level, my mind could connect with my coach and be like, yeah, I agree with you. I understand what you're saying. Something else, you know, your soul, something else sometimes speaks up and says, this is what I want and this is what I'm going to do. And, and, and sometimes we need to go against the grain. Even if we've got powerful and amazing mentors and coaches, we have to follow our own intuition, our own guidance. And um, so I think that it's, you know, it, it, there's always going to be it's a really delicate balance to strike and it's something kind of new to me it's something that I'm growing in confidence in which is going with my my intuition and not going against someone like why would you go against a mentor or coach and in a lot of cases you might pay them a lot of money as well to get their expertise why would you go against them like surely they know best but but there's an element to trusting yourself and there's an element to, like you were just saying, James, of like taking the, the ideas and the information and the things that your coach might give you, but also making it your own and taking that with your own life experience and your own current situation and making your own unique result with it. So I think, and, and that having that had that experience as a client myself, I think it makes me a better coach because now I see it happening to my own clients. Like I used to get frustrated, you know, go back a few years, I would think, why isn't, you know, why isn't this person doing this? Like, you know, we're, we're talking every week and the same thing and she's doing this. And now I don't have that feeling, you know, now I, I respect my client's journey. I know that, that she's going to be going at the right pace for her. I give her nudges, I give her tools and strategies and I give her my help and support and, you know, love as well. Ultimately, she will make of it what she will. And that is the best for her. That is the best result for her. Not what I say is best, um, but it's all the amalgamation of everything. Do you think a good uh, visualisation for somebody to be able to take that into context is a bit like the tortoise and the hare but using it as a metaphor to have a, a little bit of a higher version of that be it you don't necessarily have to be the hare which is what very much what society has become but you don't necessarily have to have the the old ethos of what the tortoise is the slow and steady wins the race you can have a little bit of 
coming back to to what you were saying there and your point you can have a you can have a you can run the race at your at your <clears throat> excuse me at your leisure you take how long how however long you want to do to be able to attain the result that you you, you strive for we don't have, you don't have to be two sides of a coin you can be you can make your own coin as i'll I'll, I'll put it (laughs) i like that you can make your own coin yeah for sure and you know growth growth never happens in a straight line right and it's the same with the body we were talking about the body and weight loss and and you know things can go up and down things but, but as long as they're generally moving in the right direction so we see you know, we see a general trend, but things might spike up, might go down. So the tortoise and the hare, I think, you know, it's a bit like maybe the tortoise isn't just slow and steady. Maybe the tortoise does a little sprint every now and then, but you don't see that. So maybe the tortoise is just like, he's taking his time. He does a little sprint. And um, yeah, there's lots of stuff that could be going on that we, that we haven't really noticed, right? The important thing is that he gets to where, where, he, where he wants to get to um but yeah totally make your make your own coin (laughs) so my last question to you sarah then before we wrap up the episode is if you had to summarize what we've been speaking about today into one sentence for people to take away (laughs) what would that be transformation happens through the body going into the body rather than going up into the head can have a bigger impact on your mind than trying to be mental about it, than trying to think about it, go into the body. So once again, Sarah, thanks again for coming on the Mindset Athlete podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been my absolute pleasure. Thanks, James. If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends and do let Sarah and I know what you thought of the episode by tagging us over on Facebook at Sarah W. Wall and James O. Roberts 11. And again, you can do the same on Twitter and Instagram. And if you had any questions, don't hesitate to shoot them over as well. And finally, don't forget to give Sarah's Facebook a follow for even more of her content at facebook.com forward slash Sarah W. Wall. That's Sarah with an H. And as always, do check out my free content at fitamputee.co.uk and click on the tab resources. But not forgetting, I've also started a new Facebook group, especially for this podcast, which you can find by typing The Mindset Athlete. So make sure to check those out the links will be in the description you can find all the show notes at mindsetgame.lipson.com under the category general so once again thanks for listening and i'll catch you next week for another episode of the mindset athlete podcast